we give away tons of these tools, right? So we have uh, 30 different tools. So if you're a freelancer, you can use a lot of the tools that I've developed with any board. You can go Mm -hmm. off with any organization and say, oh, this situation calls for this executive director board check-in agenda. This other tool here is the board fundraising worksheet or the board Mm -hmm. agreement. Here's also the, I also have some fun games that I give away in in my course. Mm -hmm. I have board bingo. Welcome to the Grant Writing and Funding Podcast, where it's all about, you guessed it, grant writing and funding made easy so you can increase capacity, grow funding, and advance your nonprofit or freelance mission. Now, let's hand it over to your host, grants expert and author Holly Rustic, so you can increase your funding and drive impact. Hey, Changemakers, Holly Rustic here, podcast host of Grant Writing and Funding of GrantWritingAndFunding.com. All right, guys, so... I gave you a little teaser today of what's coming up, and I haven't actually ever done that, I don't think, for this specific podcast. Quick side note is the first podcast I ever started was called Creatives Exposed, and I used to interview people, all different kinds of creators, filmmakers, authors, artists, etc., and um, I used to do that in the beginning of those ones, and I thought, hey... I was As I was editing this podcast, I was listening to it and I was thinking, oh, this would be a great little tag just so people can kind of like find out maybe a little snapshot of what it's going to be about. So yes, as you heard in the beginning, what you're saying, what nonprofit bingo? What is that? <laughs> we do have a special, special guest on the show today, and that is Sean Kosofsky. And he's really great. As you'll hear, we kind of have a little discussion is we actually met through the Show Up and Fundraise Challenge. So some of you that are listening may have been on that. And that was something Sarah Olivieri, who's also been on the podcast a couple of times, she actually coordinated that. So it was really fun to meet Sean and to meet all of the different um, experts and the people that showed up and just to see the different nonprofits and what they're doing and, and to be able to give, you know, a couple things of suggestions or advice or collaboration. So that was really, really cool. So anyways, um, Sean and I have been talking since then. And I said, hey, Sean, you need to get on the podcast because you know, what you offer is very much in line with what I do, but it's some a different focus, right? So Sean really is the board of directors king for nonprofits. And it is so important throughout my work as a freelance grant writer and working in grant research and working with nonprofits, I have also kind of gone to the side of board of directors consultant, because a lot of times, it's really important for the board to kind of get their T's crossed, their I's dotted before they can be competitive for grant funding. It's also another fantastic service to have in your pocket to be able to do as a consultant, as a nonprofit consultant, or as a freelancer. So it is a wonderful thing. And, you know, some people actually love it and end up staying in that space like Sean. So he's going to drop like amazing knowledge today on how to actually retain, recruit, and remove board members, as well as the three M's. And I'll let you kind of like see what that means. (laughs) Wet your appetite a little bit. But it's fantastic. And another thing, if you love this podcast, guys, definitely sign up. Sean has offered to do a free webinar. It's going to be live, and I'm going to be co-hosting it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And this is going to be on Thursday, August 6th, Pacific Standard Time, 12.30 p.m. So if you want to join that, it's absolutely free. He's giving away some free giveaways. It's less than an hour, you guys. So if you love the podcast today and you want to like go just really nitty gritty into how to transform a board, do join the webinar, How to Transform a Board of Directors in 90 Days. It's fantastic. He is going to give you the steps. So whether you are an executive director at a nonprofit, serve on the board of directors or are a freelance grant writer or nonprofit consultant and want to start doing more work with board of directors, go to this webinar. You are going to walk away with tools that can absolutely transform the board in 90 days. And why is this important? Well, you probably already know, right, if you're working in a nonprofit. But, uh, you know, an inefficient board of directors can really cause mayhem for the nonprofit, right? They won't be efficient in getting funding. They won't be able to actually reach their goals. They might not be guided. They might not have the right connections or bring in the right skills. So it's really, really vital for nonprofit organization health 
to have a very efficient board of directors. The other thing that I love, and Sean kind of touches on it in this interview today, is how to have the awkward conversation of, hey, board of directors, you all need to be bringing in some money, (laughs) right, without saying it that way. So really important, too, to have your board of directors actually help fund the nonprofit. What? Yeah. All right, so he's really going to talk about those uncomfortable conversations. And in his webinar, he's going to go way deeper. He's going to outline the entire whole thing teaching. So if you would like to sign up for that free webinar, do just check out www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 131. And you'll also be able to get all the show notes and all the links from today's episode. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. And one more quick thing before I move on is just a huge, huge shout out. Thank you all for making my birthday so fantastic. You helped me supersede my goal of getting 44 reviews for my book, The Beginner's Guide to Grant Writing on Amazon. We have now reached 45 reviews. Hey, hey. And it's been just constantly at the number one spot of bestseller in the category of nonprofit and fundraising on Amazon. And it's just been really, really cool to see um, a lot of people were able to get the book for free when I had my whole birthday thing and then leave reviews and just see that the book is now really getting out there moving around more. So I just appreciate that so much. And if you got the book, please make sure you do sign up for your free downloadables um, and you have the links. It was a fantastic 44th birthday. Thank you guys so much. And we did have a winner as well. So woohoo. So without further ado, let me go ahead and get into the introduction of Sean Kosofsky. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. I am Holly Rustic, your podcast host and YouTube host of Grant Writing and Funding. And I'm here to help you grow capacity, increase funding, and to advance mission. All right, guys, I'm super excited today as I have a special guest online and we're going to be talking about board. So all of your board of directors information, we're going to have this whole story. It's super cool. And you guys all know why that's important. We have talked about it a lot in the past as far as, and a lot of you have questions to me. They're like, hey, Holly, how do I keep my board together? My board's just disappearing. What do I do? So we're definitely going to be looking at that today. And I have with me expert, Mr. Sean Kasai. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm so excited to be here. Yay! I'm super excited to be here too. And some of you might say, oh, his name kind of sounds familiar because maybe you did the show up and fundraise challenge. So Sean was definitely a part of that and we've been connecting since then. So it's been really, really cool to see his different work and just to be introduced to what he does and then to say, okay, how can we, you know, share more of your information in your specific expertise with all of the people that follow along on the YouTube channel and on the podcast. So he definitely came on board. So how was that experience for you, the show up and fundraise challenge? Uh, For me, it was really exciting because I had never been part of a challenge before. And Mm -hmm. so it was really fun to sort of learn how that works. Um, And it was a little interesting getting started and being thrown into a collaboration with a bunch of other really talented people. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was so rewarding because I saw all of these folks who I was almost all of them I wasn't familiar with. Only two of the consultants were people I was familiar with. And in that short period of time, I think it was like 1,800 people signed up for this challenge. And it was just powerful to watch them progress Mm -hmm. uh, one day after another from getting an idea, writing it down, pushing it out into the world, and people expressing such excitement that they were raising money during this global pandemic that they were just really excited. So it was an unqualified positive experience for me. I love it. I love it. And I, same with, same with me. I only knew like one other, two other people in the challenge. And now I've been able to meet and talk with more and more people and get to know you guys. So it's been really, really awesome. But yeah, the, the transformations that we saw, you know, um, were just amazing because it was people working on their sales copy for their fundraisers, doing all kinds of things. And it was just a great to see the interaction in between the members and then everybody else on there. So yeah, if you guys are interested in that, they are going to be launching. We're going to be launching that again. We do have over 1200 people on the waiting list already. So we'll definitely let you guys know when we're going to reopen the doors for that. But yeah, so really exciting. So I'm just going to go ahead and and read your background real quick. So I I think I love your background. It's so interesting. Um, But Mr. Sean Kosofsky right here is the nonprofit fixer. So if you guys want to check him out, you can definitely check him out at nonprofitfixer.com. He has 
worked in nonprofits for more than 27 years, including as executive director for five organizations. You have worked in policy, communications, grassroots advocacy, direct service, development, management, and served on numerous boards. That's why he, he's uh, the nonprofit fixer, guys. <laughs> Additionally, Sean has raised millions of dollars for causes, candidates, and campaigns. Your work has appeared in news stories around the world, and you have offered webinars or blog posts through AFP, Candid, Idealware, Bloomerang, Wild Apricot, and Pamela's Grow Grows Motivate Mondays. And you've also worked on a wide range of issues, including LGBTQ equality, reproductive justice, voting access, bullying prevention, climate change, and more. You offer coaching, consulting, training, and free tools at your, non or at your website, nonprofitfixer, and that's F-I-X-E-R.com, and courses as well. So welcome to the show again. As you can see, you are highly qualified to talk about boards. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I, I think boards are an interesting challenge for nonprofits because of the way they were created and the way they serve. So I think so many nonprofits are struggling with their boards. I thought it was the perfect opportunity to to bring a lot of what I've learned as an ED and as a board member to um, a lot of the offerings we have at Nonprofit Fixer. Yeah, I mean, I love it because I think a lot of times it's it's under overlooked, right? So you think, okay, I'm going to start a nonprofit. I'm going to throw a board together. I'm going to ask a couple of my family members, which right away that's like, and then, <laughs> and then I'm going to like, you know, get set up and somehow it's going to run and I'm going to be paid, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year as an ED in the first year. Like, no, <laughs> like all of that stuff is kind of wrong. You know, so a lot of people, they just start kind of discouraged because it doesn't work out how they Think it's going to work out. And I think getting kind of underneath it from the beginning, especially for you freelance grant writers out there, this is definitely an opportunity for, you know, you guys to take notes. And I know I'm going to be taking notes today because, um, you know, it's what you can do to help startup nonprofits, but also nonprofits that have been, you know, that are a little, that have more, a little, little bit more age to them because sometimes they're just continuing to operate and maybe they don't have the most efficient board or their board has stagnated or plateaued, that sort of thing. So do you kind of find those issues? Yeah, there's a wide range of issues. I mean, like, as you mentioned, it starts from the recruitment and creation of a nonprofit. We all tend to hang out with people who look just like us, right? So it's mm -hmm. not uncommon for people when they're building a board to have a lot of, if I'm a white guy, I might find a bunch of other white guys or white women mm -hmm. that are in my community, neighborhood or family. And then you to group think and you don't question decisions and you don't ask tough questions and you end up just being stuck in sort of this rut. Mm -hmm. But it is that uh, getting a diversity of opinion and a diversity of background that really strengthens an organization. So early on, there's that. And then there's if you don't do the right work to bring on the right people and give them work that they love, a great orientation, uh, giving them a great experience. If someone mm -hmm. says, oh, I do finance by day, but you're going to make me and I don't want to do any more of it. But then you put me on the finance committee. I'm going to burn out. Right. So you have to be really, yeah. really careful about where you put your talent and kind of right. sharing that load. But mm -hmm. uh, boards can get stagnant, um, you know, and they can get a little bit lazy over time. So one of the things we talk about in board development is that you really just got to flip the script. It is not about um, having low standards for your board. It's about having high standards for your board. Too often we settle for the lowest common denominator. Oh, just show up 12 times and raise $2,000. <laughs> stay out of my hair. And that approach to boards is just how you end up with bad boards. If you flip that and say, actually, we, I expect everything of you. Like you're the board. You own the nonprofit. All owners of all corporations are responsible for revenue. You own this place. This is your baby. You need mm -hmm. to help fundraise that's a totally different approach than how we typically treat nonprofits. And so when you start building a board, seeing that I'm giving you the honor of being on this board, it's prestigious to be on yeah. this board. You're not doing me a favor. I'm doing you a favor by involving you. So when you flip that script, it really does totally change the kind of board you can build. I love that. And yeah, I mean, it just, it does like it, there's so many different flaws I see with boards. It's either people join because they want to put it on their resume and they might not show up. Like you're saying the expectations aren't clear. The executive director might feel overwhelmed with people from their, their board members. So there's a lot of things and I know we're going to, we're going to kind of dissect those today. Um, but before we get there, I just kind of want to backtrack a little bit because I want like, what, what got you interested? You've been doing this for 27 years working with nonprofits. Can you kind of share your story and like why this is your passion? 
I sort of fell into it. My brother, I was heading into high school and I was just really passionate about the environment at age 14 or 15. And my brother said, oh, they're starting. My brother's two years older than me. And he was sort of like, oh, when you get to high school, there's this teacher starting an environmental club and you should really be a part of it. So as I got into the school, uh, the environmental club really appealed to me. And I just dove in head first, going door to door, selling t-shirts for the environment, uh, nice. planting trees. I just kind of fell in love with it. And it became something that that you could just see in me that I was. it was like feeding my soul to do good work in the world. Mm-hmm. And I got involved with some candidate issues um, and some political campaigns. And then right out of high school, I just happened to see, I was working at some video store or whatever I was doing. And I mm. saw some opportunity for a summer job going door to door for the environment, like raising money for the reauthorization of the Clean Water Act. Mm. And I immediately started going door to door for this organization. And I was hitting double quota every night. I was very good at getting money out of strangers at the door. That's so amazing. <laughs> you're like oh, 15. Yeah. You're like, hey. <laughs> I know. Well, at this point I was 18, but yeah, but, but I was, it was sort of like fascinating to me that I, it just came naturally and it was mm-hmm. not a very well-known organization, but I was still able to get strangers to part with cash at the door to some, some kid, right? Yeah. The ability to be good at that early on probably wet my appetite to stay in that space. Yeah. But around that same time, I was also coming out of the closet as gay. And so it's mm-hmm. been my senior year of high school. And I think that the experience of the closet, I think the experience of being closeted for most of my teen years was such a painful experience and such mm-hmm. a difficult experience. I never wanted anyone else to suffer in silence the way I did. So if you look at my career trajectory, right after that environmental group, I worked in LGBTQ rights for 12 years. <clears throat> then I worked wow. in women's reproductive rights. The idea that women were facing un- unplanned pregnancies and didn't know what to do and that we didn't know what their options were but and then bullying prevention all of these causes the common thread really was that there are people who are sort of suffering and they need someone to advocate for them and Mm -hmm. with them Um, but I do think that the the unifying thread was like probably my own personal experience of suffering and no one really helping me that I never wanted anyone else's experience to be one that was that painful. So I've dedicated my life to service. Luckily, I've been able to make a great career out of it and and, Mm -hmm. and worked on a wide range of really awesome issues with phenomenal people. Uh, So that's sort of how I got to where I am now. I'm running a climate change organization in San Francisco right now. And uh, a couple of years ago, I started my consulting because I wanted to work with purpose driven organizations Mm -hmm. all over the world and not have to, um, you know, uh, settle on just one issue. I can work with many, many different kinds of organizations through my consulting. And I think that that's what really feeds my soul. I love that. And thank you for sharing. I know painful experiences can be hard to share sometimes. So I appreciate that. And I honor that. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's just, I, I, it drove you, you know, to really do so much good in the world. So I applaud that completely. And I know a lot of people that work with nonprofits, a lot of times that's what's driven them, right? So like my friend, she, um, her daughter has type one diabetes. So she's opened up a type one diabetic nonprofit. You know what I mean? There's these things like, okay, we've experienced this. We've experienced pain. We've seen the gaps. We want to help other people so they don't have to go through the amount of pain or the amount of gaps. We want to streamline something somehow. So I, I think that, you know, resonates with a lot of people as far as starting nonprofits or being passionate. So I appreciate that. And it's just, yeah, it's absolutely amazing to see everything that's going on even currently in the world, as far as these movements and these, you know, up, uprisings of really of power and equality. And I think that's so important. Um, so I, yeah, I definitely applaud that work. So yeah, in San Francisco, I love it. We're, I love it. I'm on Guam. He's in, in California. So really, <laughs> it's a great conversation. But so now you're, you're a part of a climate change organization as well. But I love your, you started your consultancy. Can you just kind of talk about that? a little bit because I know a lot of people that listen, they do work for nonprofits right now and they're aspiring to be freelancers. They want to open up a consultancy or they might be in the beginning stages of that. And there's a lot of fear around there. There's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of, you know, how do I do this? And can I do this? Can you kind of talk about that transition and how you, how you've managed it? Yeah, I was running a small foundation in New York and then moved to San Francisco for love. And I gave up my job for to move across the country for love. And so um, in the so time romantic. that I was looking Sorry. for, it. it is romantic. <laughs> so romantic. It, it was very sweet of both of us. Uh, <laughs> 
But in the 14 months it took me to find another executive director type job, um, I, fig- I didn't think it was going to take that long, but I just said, I'm going to start consulting. Okay. And after six months, I just wasn't getting the kind of word of mouth clients that I was hoping. I only had a few and I'm like, this mm-hmm. isn't going to pay the bills. So I began marketing. I really began creating all sorts of content and creating an email list and creating a YouTube channel and a blog. And I just, it started getting bigger and bigger. And the more problems I was solving and the more people would find me and say, I need your help with this. I need your help with this. It was infectious. It was like contagious. I just loved the fact that people wanted um, to take some of the stuff that I've been doing throughout my life and apply it to their organization. And it was working. Everyone I worked with was having great results. And so it just became something I really wanted to do. And then right when I was about to abandon the job search around the 14 month mark, I was offered Mm -hmm. this terrific job. It's like when it rains, it pours, I actually signed like six clients at the same time as I got the job offer. So (laughs) Um, But the job is amazing. It's like a a wonderful organization and very timely. When I moved to San Francisco, I knew I wanted to work in climate or in Mm -hmm. philanthropy. And I got a job that was a climate philanthropy organization. We we came out of Skoll Foundation, Jeffrey Skoll from eBay. Um, So we sort of like, it was like the best of both worlds. I know a lot of folks would love to leave their jobs and go do their consultancy. If you're a freelancer or you're a consultant and you want to actually make that leap or have the option of making the leap, right? Like Mm -hmm. a side hustle or actually having it be a full hustle. uh, One of the things to do is just to really deliver value, right? Mm -hmm. To really find a way to solve problems for people. And so taking the the stuff you know how to do best, focus on your strengths. Don't try being all things to all people. Of course, if you're a generalist, if you work in nonprofits, you probably have done a little bit of everything, grant writing, fund raising, board building, but I would say really play to your strengths. I'm more of a generalist, but it's partly because I really focus on executive director work and board work and fundraising is kind of secondary. Uh, But because I've run a bunch of organizations now, five and some other groups on on the board, I I have this rounded off sort of thing, but I understand that I'm not a specialist. If you're a specialist, you can charge more, right? Mm -hmm. But you might find fewer clients, but you actually can charge a lot more than a generalist, but just really finding a way to um, take the things you know how to do best and turn those into like really amazing products and services. And and then over time, the word of mouth will spread and you will be able to leave your employer. You will able you will be able to go do this work full time mm-hmm. um, because it, uh, there's so much need and we're yeah. only seeing more and more need for nonprofits out there. Absolutely. And I love that. I love that, you know, that kind of, that story is like, almost like, okay, when you're not looking for it, it falls in your lap, but you spent a lot of time leading up to that. And once again, it wasn't just like you were looking at taking anything, you wanted something very specific. And then that kind of, it came to fruition, which is really cool, although it took time, but it's almost like um, a blessing in disguise because then it forced you to create your business, right? To be like, okay, how can I do this? Um, so that's really cool. And as far as like, okay, I know you said in the beginning, cause I find this, um, a lot too, is people, if they're moving like military spouses or retirement or moving for love, I love that. Um, you know, they might say, okay, now I'm going to open a consultancy. It's a brand new city. They don't have any contacts. They don't have any roots. So it is hard to get referrals word of mouth. Maybe it's somebody else's ground that already has like a great reputation, right. That has kind of the market. So how do you kind of like, how did you, get I know you said you did a lot of marketing then like what did that really look like to bring in the clients in this new place well if you look at the metrics for who visits my website and who downloads a lot of my materials they come from San Francisco New York and North Carolina and Michigan all four places that I've lived so (laughs) I have to believe that not just because there's a ton of nonprofits in New York and San Francisco but there's also a ton in Washington DC and I'm not getting a lot of traffic from DC Mm -hmm. so I believe that Uh, your own network, your own, um, it's a currency, it's a form of currency. So I believe that your own network is going to be critical. So a lot of the folks that come to my work um, aren't just because of Facebook advertising or Facebook uh, marketing by geography. It really does start with the fact that you know some people and you're in the right Facebook groups. So one of the things I did was I I use an email software called Mailshake. So some Mm -hmm. folks may be familiar with this. It's a cold email program. So Mm -hmm. I had 7,000 emails in my contact list for, you know, whatever, 30 years of a career. Mm -hmm. And so because I had all these contacts, I said, what if I use Mailshake, which allows you to dump all of your emails into this program and slowly send like 20 or 30 emails like at a time throughout the day so that you don't get sent to the spam folder through Gmail. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. basically... 
I would spend a couple of weeks sending out a message to everyone. Hey, I've started my consultancy. This is who I am. Here's my landing page. Please sign up if you're interested in nonprofits. So my list started to grow very modestly. I couldn't just add 7,000 people to my list because then I'd be called a spammer. So I just sent yeah. out an email out mm -hmm. to all of them slowly, like 20 at a time, um, mm -hmm. inviting them to participate. And then I would use my own personal networks on Facebook and LinkedIn to push mm -hmm. my, my landing pages. Everything mm -hmm. was about the landing page. So right. I learned early on that in order to get your email list to grow, and you, I think it's more important to grow your email list than it is your social media following. Yeah, you absolutely. own your email list. You don't own your audience on these platforms. They could pull it away at any moment. So I just got some landing pages out there. I got one landing page that had to do with fundraising, one that had to do with boards, and one that had to do with management, with executive director issues, so I could tell who was coming in and who was interested in what. It was like right. its own form of research. And then after maybe a few months of figuring out like which was the most exciting free thing I was giving away on these landing pages and my email list was growing, I started throwing some ads at it to see if it would really grow, and it did. It really started mm -hmm. to grow. So it began with using my networks um, on email and then through social. And then after that, I began um, <clears throat> uh, doing, and that was partly through Mailshake and some other software. And then I started doing uh, the Facebook advertising. But then I think the next key thing for people is joint ventures. And that is just contacting other folks who have big audiences and big lists and getting in front of those audiences and delivering that value, right? Like mm -hmm. talking about the, your tips and tactics and shortcuts and, and real expertise and getting folks to sign up for what you have to offer and then just keep in regular contact with them. That's how you grow the business through marketing. Yeah. Uh, it's really that simple. Yeah. Yeah. And just full disclosure, that's uh, something that Sean and I have been talking about doing together. So we definitely have a webinar coming up. So if you, when we're going to start getting into the board stuff now, guys, so if you want further teaching on board development, please do. He has a free webinar that that's going to offer a lot of value to you guys. So check it out at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash one, three, one. I also have all the show notes for today. So he just mentioned Mailshake. I'll have that link too. So if you guys are interested in that and we'll have the information there, but it's going to be a great webinar webinar and that is how to transform your board in 90 days and we're going to be doing that on Thursday August 6 at 12:30 Pacific Standard Time or oh, cute or we're going to be doing it on uh, Eastern that's also the same time Eastern Standard Time is 3:30 p.m. on Thursday, August 6th. So that, yeah, we'll definitely be having that. So it's going to be a lot of fun and, but yeah, let's get into it then. So like before, so if you guys are interested in today's podcast, do sign up for that webinar. It's going to be off the chain. It's going to be awesome. I'm super excited. It's totally free. So Sean, so let's get into it. Like, can we outline like what we, what can you deliver people today? Cause you got people that are listening that might be on the board of directors or executive directors and, or they're freelance, um, you know, grant writers, and they're looking to diversify their income. So to learn new skills on how to serve nonprofits because a lot of nonprofits do ask them hey or they just look at them and say hey you need to fix your board first <laughs> before you apply right. for a grant you know what I mean so what are some key tips and maybe some key challenges that you see the board is really foundational because unless you have a rock star staff that is given complete uh, leeway to do whatever they want yeah you basically are going to have problems with your board. So most nonprofits are small and their board is really critical. So if you have some horrible dysfunctional board, but it's not impacting your 70 staff organization, you might be fine. Yeah. But the vast majority of organizations need a solid, functional, high-performing board early on, or they will never get to that size, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the board is foundational. And I think for anyone who's listening, who is a freelancer, or if you're on a board or an ED, an executive director, I think one of the things to, to focus on is that whenever you're dealing with an organization, there's going to be culture, there's going to be history, there's going to be uh, promises. Like people joined the board because they believed that they were signing up for one thing and now you're about to change it on them. What do you mean I have to fundraise and actually show up for meetings? I never offered to do that. I was never told. I, you're going to be pushed up against people who you're going to have people pushing back on any kind of change mm -hmm. and most efforts at change fail. So in my system, I kind of break it down into something very memorable and something easy to to you know, to, to manage, which is we talk about the members. The members of the board is the first big part of this, which is right. the carbon-based human people that are actually <laughs> making up the board. All boards right. are, are people. It is the members. Right. It is who you get and getting the, the right people. You have to recruit them, retain them, and then remove them. This is how boards work. Mm -hmm. So 
the actual members of the board, all three of these are going to begin with an M, so it's easy to remember. It's the members, it's the meetings, and it's the money. And so the members of the board Mm -hmm. are really the people, and how you recruit them, how you retain them, and how you remove them is 80% of what you're doing on a board Mm -hmm. in terms of board building and board retention. Then comes the the actual meetings, and this is like what boards do best. Boards Mm -hmm. gather and they make decisions. And so when a board actually comes together and they look at the books or they decide on the executive director's salary or they pass a policy, boards largely work in person or in a meeting. You call the mm-hmm. meeting to order, you talk and describe stuff and you vote on stuff and then you adjourn. In those meetings, if you have bad meetings, if they run on forever, if you don't have committees, if you don't delegate well, they're just going to be spinning their wheels with endless meetings and you're going to just push everyone away. Yeah. So you got to get the members right and you got to get the meetings right. And mm-hmm. then the final piece, which is the icing, is the money. Board members have to raise money overwhelmingly, unless you're a board of a private foundation who's giving away money, you need to be raising money. Mm -hmm. And all my clients, even people who are like, no, we don't really need to. We do pretty well on fundraising without our board. I'm like, it is not sustainable. It is not good to have a board that doesn't have like skin in the game. So Mm -hmm. um, there are systems we put into place when we talk about boards that are, that help them along this path. The biggest part is a mindset change because board members are always like, I'm a volunteer. I'm just here to help. I shouldn't be forced to fundraise. Um, flipping that mindset is, mm-hmm. is fundamental because people should see fundraising as a joy, right? Mm-hmm. I want to move resources from where they live to where they can change lives. I want to get money out of this rich person's bank account and into our bank account because right. if I can move wealth from where it lives to where it can change lives, I will change the world. So mm-hmm. seeing fundraising as a joy, as something that is wonderful versus a chore um, is part of the mindset change we have to give to, to fundraisers and board members. And then once you make the mindset mind uh, that shift then you can give them tools and in uh, some of the work i do we give away these amazing tools that are rooted in social science it's a little bit of peer pressure a little bit of road mapping a little bit of making people write a plan getting them to actually say i will do these four things by the end of the year and i am responsible for this and i have my whole team of the board looking at me there's some peer pressure there and if i can't deliver i will leave right? Mm -hmm. So you can have people leave on their own accord because they know they haven't delivered on their promise. And there are tools that we use to make all of this work in a seamless way. And that's why uh, the webinar we're going to do together is about how do you transform your board in 90 days? It really is as simple as putting these things into place and getting people to change within 90 days. Oh, I love that. And I love that you have a framework developed. Um, I'm on a number of boards as well. And um, that's, that's always the thing is expectations. And everybody isn't really, a lot of times everyone's not clear on what their expectation is as a board member. Um, You know, so they're not, you you don't have those conversations and some board members are like, oh, they don't show up as much. I'm pulling more weight. Or you have those kind of conversations too. So I love this, like, here's, here's like package, (laughs) here's like a framework on how to do that. So you're not kind of like stepping on people's toes or there's not like crazy weird things going on, like personality conflicts, you know, kind of helps mitigate those things. So do you have, do you recommend then when um, boards are uh, then elected, they come in and there's an onboarding process? Is that part of what this is? Yeah. So a lot of boards aren't elected. Like there's this old model we have of like membership based organizations that somehow vote on their board. That's actually a small part of nonprofits. Now, usually what happens is someone just recruits you and then you're seated. Right. Yeah. It's actually, so if you even had to go through an election, then you'd have to actually have a campaign and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But what happens is we grab someone and say, oh my God, I have four people leaving this year. They're they're really bad. Will you just join? All I need you to do is raise $2,500 and attend 12 meetings. That's usually as much as people get. Yeah. So what we use is something called a board agreement. And a board mm-hmm. agreement is the one, I call it the one, the one tool to rule them all because it really is the one document that can solve like 19 different problems in a nonprofit. So a board agreement is basically like a mini contract. I Mm -hmm. say to a board member, listen, I expect you to have no conflicts of interest. I expect Mm -hmm. you to do your job and do your work and I expect you to show up and fundraise, right? In exchange, I will do some things for you. If you want access to the staff to help you with fundraising, we'll provide that. If you want insurance to protect you while you're on the board, we'll provide that. If you want transparency to see the books, we'll provide that. Mm -hmm. These agreements are all in one document. 
agreement. So if you have to do your thing and I have to do my thing, it's all written up and everyone signs it at the beginning of every term or the beginning of every year. And then people, what happens is if they're not honoring the board agreement, you should bring this up at every single board meeting. How are we all doing with our board agreement promises, oh, like the fundraising showing up? It becomes a norm like, oh, we're going to be talking about whether I'm actually adhering to what I signed up to do. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not doing it, I self-select. I just decide to leave. So you never have to have these difficult conversations like, hey, Jack, it's time for you to leave the board because you're not doing stuff. No one wants to to have to have that conversation. They usually know it's time to go. They've broken the agreement. So it's a really fundamental different way of doing it. And the board agreement becomes a powerful tool in recruitment. Whenever you're having a conversation with someone to join the board, you show them the agreement. This Mm -hmm. is what is going to be expected of you. No surprises. You'll sign this. You'll be held accountable to this. Are you in? Right. Mm -hmm. That's usually Mm -hmm. not how boards work right now. It's Mm -hmm. usually implemented later. So it's a recruitment tool. It is a retention tool because people feel good that they're held to high standards. And then it's a removal tool. So it's the, it's the foundational piece of this. There's a lot of other things we use, but the board agreement is like the ace in the hole. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we um, really do uh, use that as a foundational piece with every single board. Oh, I love it. I, that that would solve so many issues, <laughs> like you said. And it does. Yeah. I mean, it helps people before they get on. And then you're like, oh, and by the way, this is what your expectations or commitments are after they're already on the board. And they're like, oh, snap. I don't know if I can really commit to this, you know? So I love that it really reduces a lot of that. The thing is, as I've always noticed with boards, like you said, I love that you said they're carbon. It's like people. It's actually people. Like we think it's kind of like esoteric sometimes, you know, but it's like, no, there's actually people. And um, it evolves because of that. Right. So always kind of looking to to see, OK, are we changing? Are we growing? Is there different things? And, and that's what the board really is there to do is to govern, too. Right. So to kind of guide the nonprofit. All right. The, here's the here's the hard conversation some people can have. And it sounds like you've made it an easy conversation through a lot of what you do and in in this webinar that you're going to break down more. But as far as a lot of people say, I feel uncomfortable asking my board members to raise money. What if they don't have a lot of money as long as they're bringing in money through other means? Like, how does that work? You know what I mean? Like, how can people have that conversation? Yeah. So there's two parts to this. There's like, how do I hold people accountable? How do I have a high, how do I have a board that has high standards? Mm -hmm. You have to stop thinking of your organization as some charity case that people that I I don't want to possibly, people already give so much of their time. Well, when the bills come, I can't pay those bills with your time. So (laughs) So when the bill comes to, for the rent and the bill comes for the printing, I have to pay for that with money. And the only people that have to raise the money are the people that own the corporation. That's the board. Mm -hmm. So it does take a mindset shift of saying to your board, you know, we, we are not a coffee clatch. We're not some small organization like planting flowers in a tall, small community garden. We are trying to save the world. And if you're mm-hmm. not serious about helping us change the world and save the world, then we will move you into some other role, right? Mm-hmm. We can have you on a board committee. We can have right. you as a volunteer. We can do all, there's a hundred other places for you here. But if you're on the board, you're an owner. Owners mm-hmm. raise money period. Now that's talking tough. It's sort of like where you don't actually have a conversation that blunt, but that's basically the mindset that you need to be in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then there's this other question of how do I ask my friends for money? Or I don't want to ask people for money. If you are unwilling to ask your own friends for money, we can dissect that. We can think about that. I have a whole document called here are the most common board excuses and how to push back on them. It's actually a funny document. We actually put it playful, but it's like this whole idea of like, Oh, Uh, I don't want to ask my friends for money. Okay, then make a list of all the strangers that you're going to ask. Make a list of all the companies Mm -hmm. that you don't know yet that you're going to invest. Like, Show me where you're going to go find the money. But I'll tell you, it is way faster. You can make six asks of a friend or 600 of a stranger to hit the goal. So if you're willing to thousand dollars you can either have six conversations with someone who knows you likes you and trusts you or 600 with total strangers and that's going to be way more exhausting for everyone so yes. the math is on your side if you are asking friends then we show people you aren't asking someone for a favor when you mm-hmm. ask for money you are doing them a favor there's a whole mindset shift in fundraising some if the person you're asking no one's ever offended when they're asked for money no one is ever offended when they are asked for money. They might be bothered if you call during dinner, but they're right. not offended if you ask mm-hmm. for money. If someone comes to me and says, I need to change the world. Can I have a million dollars? I might feel bad that I don't have the money for you, yeah. but I don't feel bad that you asked. I don't feel confronted. I don't feel like right. put against the wall. 
No one is offended when they're asked for money. So when we convince people of that, that's the first step. And then the second step is saying that everyone wants a cleaner environment. Everyone wants like everyone with to be healthy and a clean environment and everyone with an education and not starving. Everyone wants that world. So when I ask someone to make a donation, I'm doing you a favor by offering you an opportunity to make that world happen. If I never got to you and I never asked you for money, then I would have left you out of that vision. I would have denied you the opportunity to pay for the world. I'm the doer. You're the donor. It's a partnership. Mm -hmm. So I meet you and you give the money. I go do the work. This is how this works. So we train board members how to think about things that way, right? Mm -hmm. You're not asking for a favor. You're doing them a favor. Create a culture of asking because the number one reason why people don't give money to charity is that they weren't asked. Mm -hmm. And if you create more opportunities for the ask, you're going to get more money. I love that. And I I love that um, kind of that show of saying, okay, if you ask your friends, way more easier. They like you, they trust you, they, they know what you're passionate about, right? And asking strangers, yeah, we kind of, I don't, I don't know why there is that sometimes we're like, oh, I don't want to ask my friend, but I'm going to ask like this complete company that I don't even know, you know, and I don't even know the right person to talk to at the company. I'm going to feel like that's a good lead. And it's like, it comes down to hangups that we have about money. And at least in the West, I know we have hangups about money. No one wants anyone to know how much money they have, right? If anyone compliments anyone on anything they have, they fall all over themselves to tell you they didn't pay full price for that thing they own. (laughs) Oh, I love that bag or I love, oh, I got it on discount. No one wants anyone to know that they have money. We have issues of guilt about wealth and we have issues of guilt about money. And we think that if we ask our friends, three things are going to happen they're going to come back to me and ask for money, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want to have to be put in a position to give to everyone who I asked for money. So I asked mm-hmm. 10 friends, they're all going to ask me for money. That's not going to happen. Those right. 10 people are not going to ask you for money because they don't want to ask for money. No one wants to ask for money. <laughs> the second thing that's going to happen is they think if I ask my friend for money, they're going to think it's intrusive. They're going to think it's impolite. Mm-hmm. They're going to think I'm asking for a favor. I don't want to be indebted to my friend. So mm-hmm. that's like sort of like the second thing is that people are worried that they're, it's imposing. So it's a politeness thing, which means they're not super serious about solving the problem that they're on this board to solve. Because if they were super serious about it, if they really felt it, they'd ask their friends, right? And the third thing that happens if I I ask someone close to me is I'm fear of rejection, right? There's this, this, if someone I ask says no, where does that leave our relationship? Right. Mm -hmm. So like there's these three different things that sort of happen and we start showing people that if you just do it with joy and with a smile and if you get a no, it's like, okay, well, maybe next time it's just, it's really that easy. It's this casual way of saying, I'm the doer, you're the donor. It's a partnership. If you're not in this time, that's totally fine. Maybe next time. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love Mm -hmm. that. And what about, okay, so some board members come on, maybe they're owners of company. They have some, you know, their company then can maybe do some kind of in-kind donation. Maybe you're, if you're asking all your board members to bring in $5,000 each, that sort of thing. They said, okay, I can rally up my, my business, right? Then to pay a certain amount and that's going to come from their business. Or you might have somebody else who's like, they don't have a business, so they have to go out and recruit that money or pay for it personally or do something like that. Like, how do you do a kind of a balance when there's different, you know, economic kind of initiatives for, across the board? That's one of the things when we do our uh, uh, presentation together later Mm -hmm. this um, summer, I think we're going to, one of the tools we have is this thing called a board fundraising worksheet. Mm -hmm. This is one of the tools that's rooted in social science. So if you, if you're the executive director or you're the board chair, you present this list of 10 different menu options. Can you hold nine small gatherings over the course of the year to raise money? Can you solicit donations to our silent auction? Can you approach four companies for this? Can you do prospect? for a foundation? Can you do a Facebook fundraiser? So you have like 10 of these options on a list. And if someone still can't find something on this list, then you know they're just resisting it, right? But usually what happens is you pass this tool out in front of a board, all in front of each other. There's some peer pressure. Mm -hmm. Everyone fills out, I will give a gift this much. I will go raise this much Mm -hmm. in these three of these 10 ways over the next year. And then you basically hand the forms in, in front of everyone to the board chair or the everyone has to hand them in during Mm -hmm. the meeting. So you've just basically cemented a pledge. And if Mm -hmm. if I, if I have to write something out on a piece of paper and sign it and pledge to do something, I'm way more likely to do it. And then I hand it in in front of my peers, people that I have an obligation to as a Mm -hmm. co-owner of this nonprofit, I'm more likely to do it. And then you say, please, now the chair 
and maybe a buddy and the ED or the development director helped me hold myself accountable to this document that I just filled out. Mm -hmm. So the range of things that a board can do, I just map them out in a clear, easy list and make it easy for the board. If you are a church or a house of worship, you're going to have maybe 10 different options than if you're a, um, a domestic violence organization or if you're a group battling cancer, right? So mm -hmm. every group is going to have its own list of 10 to 12 things. My organization, for example, is not on social media. We're sort of unbranded. We only get a handful of really, really large grants. Mm -hmm. So what my what my board needs to do is just introduce me to a couple people in foundations. They don't have to do any heavy lifting at all. So my organization is very different than maybe a membership, small membership organization trying to build right. a, a community health club, health center. But you take that board fundraising worksheet and then you apply that uh, and you adapt it because I give it away to people in Microsoft Word so you can actually amend it. And for all the folks out there that are sort of freelancers or thinking about this, uh, when we talk later on about like the, the work um, uh, the course that we're going to talk about, the, the board course, uh, we give away tons of these tools, right? So we That's have amazing. Like, uh, 30 different tools. So if you're yeah. a freelancer, you can use a lot of the tools that I've developed with any board. You can go mm -hmm. off with any organization and say, oh, this situation calls for this executive director board check-in agenda. This other tool here is the board fundraising worksheet or the board mm -hmm. agreement. Here's also the, I also have some fun games that I give away in, our, in my course. <laughs> I have board bingo, which is like a, a nice. fun way to Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like everyone gets a piece of paper with the with different words on it that are typically said during board meetings. And the fun thing about board bingo is that you have to pay attention during the meeting to yeah. see if you right. So you get to have some fun, gets to be competitive, but you also have to pay attention. So there's all these fun things we do in like the coursework that we give away. Um, so those are some of the ways that people can sort of like look at a range of things and, and apply it to a board, but it really does take a little bit of customization, but they're usually mm. the same 10 or 12 things that board members are willing to do. Oh, I love that. And just having those tools, like that's amazing. Even though I've already, you know, I like I've served on many boards, I've done a lot of uh, board training, but having those like, oh my gosh, that would just make my life so much easier and such a good, another additional stream of income to be able to offer that service. So yeah. And okay. So I know we're about closing up here, but I just wanted to ask one more question because this is another one. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to give a little hang in there, but okay. But um, what about when, especially as grant writers, I get asked to be on a lot of boards because they want me to write grants. Right? So like, right. like you said, like, or the accountant, they get asked to be on a lot of boards because they want them to be the treasurer and do the books. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, is that something that you promote as far as offering or is it like, okay, let's relook at that a little bit. Like, how do you kind of approach that? I do think that if you approach someone to join a board because they bring a very particular skill Mm -hmm. That is shrewd. I think that is wise. I think mm -hmm. that is um, a smart thing to do. But you also have to be ready for a lot of no's, right? Mm -hmm. Because you that person might see the ask as diminishing or devaluing their skill set, right? right? They yeah. might say, actually, I charge a lot of money to write grants and now you want me to do all that for free. So yeah. thank you for asking. And I love this cause so much. I'll do it. But what you might find is that someone who's a grant writer is more likely to say, I will do one pro bono grant for you this yeah. year. I, I will show you how to write grants, but I'm not going to be your board member that everyone else gets to govern and I'm doing all the work right? Yeah. It, it, you can't set up that system. But if you have a board where everyone is actually working and applying a skill set, like there is a board lawyer who's actually doing law for the organization, and mm -hmm. there is an accountant doing accounting, and there is a grant writer assisting but not doing it all, then at least you've got parity. Uh, mm -hmm. The problem is when you get one person or two people that have a lot of skills, and they are leaned on way more than the rest of the board. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But if, if someone like yourself or some grant writer gets invited to a board, it might be the one thing they can do that's easy. Like, hey, I don't have to actually raise money during the year. I don't have to give because I'm on two other boards. I will just write some grants. If it's right. two grants a year or three grants a year, that might be okay. But I do think we need to value consultants who are mm -hmm. doing this work because it is the sheer experience and know-how of what it takes to be a good grant writer or a good fundraiser is worth way more than the grant, right? It's like yeah. you're, you are creating this product that's there mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, and you've, yeah, so I, I think 
think that I don't encourage people to, to find grant writers and put them on their board at all. Mm -hmm. I do say that boards need a good HR person, yeah. a good lawyer, and a good finance person. Those mm -hmm. are the three roles that a board really needs. Mm -hmm. um, and then people that are connected to pots of money. They don't have to be rich, but they should be connected to pots of money if they can. Right. No, I love that. And I, I total, uh, totally second that as far as like, and I've done that a lot too. It's like, okay, I will write one grant pro bono, right? Or I will look at this. And, and that's pretty much kind of how I look at it too. But I'm like, I'm not going to be your full-time grant writer. Like that's how I earn a living. And that's saying no to clients that could bring in money to me, <laughs> to my business. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, but I support the cause. And the other thing that causes me to do too, that because if I do look at it like that, instead of saying just, oh no, I'm not going to write any grants. I'll say, okay, I'll write like one, maybe two, you know, per year. But that means I'm going to say no to a lot of other boards because I can't do that for a lot of boards because then once again, how do you have time for your clients? So it, it And you might have a conflict of interest. Exactly. What if you have a paying client that's going yeah. for the same foundation? You have to yep. be very careful. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to kind of like look and weigh that. So you have to be like, okay, that's a conflict. So definitely, yeah, that's something I, I love that you, you really talk about that. And I know in the webinar, you'll be going over that a little bit more. So that's going to be really vital for people to be like, how do I manage this? Because a lot of what you talk about is how to have these conversations and having like toolkits and frameworks of like, oh, okay, this is how you can kind of position your messaging as well. So then you can really do this efficiently. So amazing. Yeah. I love it. So yeah. Thank you so much for all this value. I mean, we really looked at a lot of how to, you know, recruit board members, how to retain them, right. How to have those conversations. So, um, yeah. So before we get off the podcast today, would you like to add anything before I announce our webinar one more time, just so people can be, get involved with that if they'd like to. Uh, definitely. I have tons of free tools um, in my yes. blog, on my YouTube channel, and on my website. So I would just encourage folks to go to nonprofitfixer.com. If you go to nonprofitfixer.com on the resources page, I have tons of free tools there. And you can hit me up, get a free consultation, talk to me about a very particular problem you're having in your organization. Happy to do those free phone calls for folks um, to, to set up those uh, conversations. Um, and then hopefully you'll check out the different courses that we offer while you're there. But nonprofitfixer.com is the place to go and uh, I'm happy to give away lots of free stuff too and folks can sign up for my newsletter or the YouTube channel where I sometimes drop some knowledge over there too. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful YouTube channel, by the way. So I love it. Yeah. You guys got tons of great stuff. So do check it out. Um, once again, you can also grab, uh, go over to grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 131. And I'll have all of the links, including nonprofitfixer.com on that, on that list as well. And also where you can sign up. You do have to sign up for this webinar, guys. It's going to be live. It's going to be early my time. So show up. <laughs> it's going to be on. It's going to be fun though. It's going to be fantastic. Once again, we're coordinating Guam, San Francisco. So time zones are fun, but it is in a time zone where many of you guys can join. So please do join. Once again, that is Thursday, August 6 at 1230 Pacific Standard Time. And that is going to be how to transform your board in 90 days. We're going to be on there for less than an hour. So do check it out. You're going to get a lot, a ton of free resources and just, you know, it's going to be fantastic. So do go ahead and register. You can register at grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash 131, where we'll have that link and the show notes. All right, Sean, thanks so much again for being on the podcast. I'm super excited. I'm just, I'm so glad that you shared some of your expertise of your vast array of knowledge with us today. Well, thanks. I'm a huge fan of you. Thanks for having me on. Love your podcast and love your website. You do such great work. So I'm happy to be collaborating. Thanks so much. And I hope folks uh, get a lot from this. Thanks. Yes. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Yep. Do you want to join the Changemaker Tribe and get courses, downloadable checklists, samples of awarded grants, behind-the-scenes live Q&A with myself and the tribe, and discounts on grant services? Be sure to join the Changemaker membership at www.grantwritingandfunding.com forward slash membership. Thank you for listening to this Grant Writing and Funding Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time. For more questions, email Holly at holly at grantwritingandfunding.com or visit www.grantwritingandfunding.com. 